We have a very special episode for you today. I am your host, Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd, and I am joined today, because this is a special episode, by my co-host on the Throwdown Thursday podcast and my co-host in life, Ashes Von Nightmare. And uh, we are here. Of course, uh, Ashes and I are joined by a uh, very special guest this week. We have uh, author Hannah C. Howard who has uh, her debut novel actually will be dropping today when this episode airs called Ignite the Sun. Hannah, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, this is uh, a really cool thing um, where we got someone reached out to us. Samantha over at uh, at Blink reached out to us uh, a while ago and was like, hey, I've got a bunch of authors with books coming out. We heard one of your interviews, and we thought you mm-hmm. did a good job with it, so we'd like you to, you know, if you're interested, talk to some of our authors, and we're like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think first off, congratulations on your first novel. Thank you. This it's is exciting. exciting. Yeah, like, uh, when you get to see your first novel, um, I'm sure it's one of those... Uh, you know, you, you run the gamut of emotions. So when, yeah. you, when you first, you know, A, when you optioned it and you found out like, oh my God, this is going to get published, <laughs> you know, how did that compare to actually seeing like, you know, the cover wrap and, and the cover sure. art? Yeah, great question. Um, it's been a really surreal experience. Um, this book for me has been a long time in, uh, in its, I guess, lifespan. Um, I first started writing it almost 10 years ago um, and has um, had a lot of ups and downs in the meantime. Um, so selling it uh, finally was was just like uh, one of those moments that you wait for and dream about forever. And when it finally comes, you're sort of like, okay, is this actually happening? Is this real? Um, so yeah, a lot of those surreal moments along the way, seeing the cover design the first time, um, and it went through some edits after that. But um, seeing, you know, uh, the title and my name on it. And it's a, it was a beautiful, even initial design. Um, so that was all really cool. Um, you know, the day I got the whole, um, book jackets, uh, uh, spread was really cool. Um, so yeah, I think surreal is probably the best word to describe all of those moments. Um, Cause they're never, you know, exactly how you imagine them, but, but they're still really cool. Um, and things that you've been hoping for, for a long time. So. Now you said this, uh, this was a, a decade in the works. Tell mm-hmm. us about like how this first came to be, like where your inspiration came from. Yeah. And, uh, how, how you, uh, came up with the ideas for this. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it was sort of a combination effort, uh, on the idea front. Um, and I, I tend to say that ideas come from curiosity, uh, that when you're, when you're asking questions about things that you think about, um, or that you see, uh, that that's where I find inspiration to be most readily accessed. And so, um, there were kind of a few things that added up to an idea for this book. Um, one of them, uh, was during a daily walk in my neighborhood with my dog. Um, and, uh, it was, it was spring and we were on a path where there were a lot of trees. Um, and in springtime, I tend to get really, maybe like a lot of people really, uh, excited about the warmth and about the new growth. Um, I live in Oklahoma, which, um, has, in Tulsa, some pretty distinct seasons. Um, and so winter is really dreary and gray and cold. Um, summer is really hot and sunny. Um, but spring and fall are just like delicious times. Um, and spring was 
that year, I, I was just really excited for the sun. Um, and I got to feeling like every time I would walk through a patch of sunlight, like I just wanted to like leave the ground. I wanted to just fly. Um, and so I started to wonder, like, what if there was a, a being that could only fly in the sunlight? Um, what would happen when they hit the shadow? Would they fall? Would they, you know, would they have enough kind of impetus to keep going um, <clears throat> until they hit another sun ray, that sort of thing? So that was one idea um, that that I was sort of playing with in my head. Um, there was another day when I was at work and I overheard um, a kid talking to his mom and I really thought he said something about the darkness. Um, and it sounded like it was a capital D, like an entity. Um, and so I sort of started thinking, well, what would, what would a darkness like that be if it were an entity? Um, and then the third thing that um, after those ideas kind of came together and started to form into the plot that I wanted to, to work with, um, I, I had my first experience with anxiety and seasonal affective disorder and some depression. Um, and it was very heavily linked with uh, winter. It was, it was a January, a cold gray January. Um, and so, uh, the, the oppression of darkness, um, kind of found its form, I think through that experience. Um, and I, I channeled a lot of my longing for, um, normality for, um, wellness into my association with light. Um, so those, those all kind of added up to an idea, um, probably with other things thrown in as well, but yeah. Yeah, I definitely can understand the uh the the way that the uh the darkness, especially in winter when it's dark so mm. early and for so long, how it can mm -hmm. almost feel like a physical weight, you know, cuz you know, up in New England, we have some pretty nasty winters. Oh man. So, yeah. So, before we go any further, we want to ask you, uh, like we were talking about off air, one of the things we like to do is uh, a little getting into character to kind of mm -hmm. get to know you a little bit. I mean, I think you, you gave us a little bit of information, but uh, before we really delve into the, the, the meat of the book, we have our getting into character questions. And I know, Ash, you were very excited to be doing this one. <laughs> yes. Well, I, um, I I read in your bio that you are part of the Harry Potter fandom. <laughs> oh, uh, you know it. <laughs> uh, we we are both Slytherins. Yes. Nice. Um, I like how you describe yourself as a Gryffindor. <laughs> yeah. So my first question for you is: if you could have afternoon tea with any party from the <gasps> Harry Potter universe, oh. who would it be? Oh, how do you make that decision? <laughs> I know, right? Oh, I don't know. Um, maybe could Fred and George count as one person? Absolutely. I, it might maybe be because the twins. Don't they? I mean, they they they, they they're a package yeah. deal. Yeah, yeah, they George. are. <laughs> Which is why book seven is so heartbreaking. Is because yep. they're a package deal. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. <gasps> yeah. I my favorite scenes in the Harry Potter books are. Uh, tend to be at the borough. Um, and um, I, I love the Weasleys altogether. I think that my family kind of are Weasleys. I think that um, I am the most at home with the Weasleys. Um, and Fred and George, I mean, every scene that they are in is gold. And I think um, I would just love to listen to them talk for, you know, a tea time. I, in judging by your pictures from your website, you actually look like you could be a Weasley. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, so I'm naturally like strawberry blonde. And one of the main reasons I started dyeing my hair true red was because of the Weasleys. Really? It's true. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah, uh, I think that's a fantastic choice. Thank you. Who would you all choose? Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, it, would, it would be tough. Uh, I would have to say, though, uh, as long as I could get her into like a weird seance type uh, <laughs> uh, type of um, state of mind. Sybil Trelawney. Yes. <laughs> that would be so rewarding. I would like to know some things about my future. Plus she's just, oh, she's <laughs> just so wacky. Yeah. That's amazing. I think so. My favorite character is Narcissa. Nice. I love her so much, but I think to have, an afternoon tea and chat with mm. i think i'd have to go with luna lovegood nice I, she's just she's such a weirdo and i love yeah. it i'm surprised you didn't say 
Bellatrix because you I mean, love you some Bellatrix. I do. I also I love I love my bad guys. I really do. Yeah. I love Narcissa and I oh, love Bellatrix great. Lestrange. But I think to have like afternoon tea and conversation mm. with, I mean, who with Luna? Yeah. You, you have no idea where where the afternoon no. is going to take you. And I think that would just be. I mean, that's a journey I'm willing to. Yeah. Go on. Oh man. This tea, it's full of experts. <laughs> yeah. That would be a delight. <laughs> Uh, <coughs> oh, but I mean, there are so many good mm-hmm. characters in that so series. So many, and I'm actually a newbie to the Harry Potter. Oh wow! Uh, fandom, yes. I was it a couple summers ago. Yeah, we. Watched I, I started watching up the film six, and I mm-hmm. had read some of the books uh, mm-hmm. a few. I mean, this was a while ago. Uh-huh. So uh, watching the films, kind of. Um, it made me want to Rekindled. revisit some of the books. Yeah. And, yeah. And so I'm in the process of, of trying to make my way through nice. those. But, nice. I'm yeah. kind of jealous. I, I sometimes <laughs> wish I could go back to the very first time I ever read them. Yeah. See, I, I had never read any of them because I suffered under that young adult uh, mm. delusion. And yeah. I was at a comic store and they had the first book for like, I don't know, $3. So I'm like, mm-hmm. What the hell? You know, no yep. big deal. I, if I don't like it, it's only $3. Yeah. And before I finished it, I had gone and bought the next three. Nice. And I ended up I ended up at mid, a midnight release party yes. for book seven. And at the time, I worked 8 a.m. to midnight on Saturday. So I was oh there at midnight, and I was up till 4 in the morning reading. Oh, my goodness. And then had to work a 16-hour shift. Oh. The, the good thing, though, I worked at a boarding school, and, and a lot of the uh. kids were getting the book, but yeah. they weren't getting it till noon. So I'm like, listen, I'm hundreds of pages ahead of you. <laughs> like, you're either going to behave or I'm going to spoil stuff. Yes. That's amazing. I did. I, I did spoil it for one of the kids, and I can't say what it is because <laughs> Ash hasn't gotten to that point, oh. and I don't want to ruin it. But... I was like, That's just... a true Slytherin move. Yeah. I'm like, it's just five words. What could five <laughs> words possibly possibly be? And Oh no. And it was five very important words. Oh no. Yeah. So but uh, It's amazing. So my question also is uh Harry Potter related. Okay. Because, you know, obviously we're all big Harry Potter nerds. Yeah. Right? So we're not. We're not going to ask you what house you're in because you already have have stated that you are a Gryffindor. Mm. The question to you is, you know, we know that you would be a a Gryffindor. So yeah. Now we what we need to know is who would be your roommates, and we'll just you know for the sake of argument, we'll say these are co-ed dorms if uh, you want to go Kay. that way. Cool. Um. Well, I'll, I'll follow the Gryffindor theme and choose a Gryffindor and a Ravenclaw. Um. And I guess it would mean that I would be a year below. Harry, um, because I would pick Jenny Weasley and Luna Lovegood. Um, I think that for the same reasons that uh, Ashes, you would choose to have tea with Luna, I think being her roommate would be hysterical. Um, I think you would never know what was coming next. You would never know what you would find in your dormitory. Um, and she would keep you entertained. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jenny is my favorite. Well, I say my favorite. Harry is my favorite character, um, but but Ginny is, uh, you know, who I who I aspire to be like in those those books. Um, I I love her book, Ginny. Uh, we mm. don't probably need to open up the can of worms that is movie Ginny, um, but uh, I I just think she's amazing. I think she's um, such a cool character. Um, I don't know if y'all have ever played Muggle Quidditch, but. Um, I love being a chaser in Muggle Quidditch, uh, which is Jenny's position. Um, so I think the two of them would make really fun roommates. I agree with that. I think that would be a, a pretty good one. Yeah. So who yeah. would be your, who would be your third though? You got to get somebody else. Oh, I have there. three. Yeah, oh. it's a quad. You got to get you got to get your third roommate. Let's think. Remember, this could be co-ed. So like, yeah, they can be co-ed. You can throw anybody you want in there. Hmm. Maybe Neville. Neville is a good choice. He's just so kind. I think he'd be a really conscientious roommate. I completely agree with that. He would be very respectful of your he space. He would. 
and of you and of uh-huh. your time. Yeah. And yeah. And he would have plants. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And that would be cool. There'd be plants everywhere. It's like, oh, yeah. I notice your fern is a little, little <laughs> uh, shaky. I can uh, take a look yeah. at that for you. I can help you out. Uh, awesome. So those those are your getting into character questions, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, those aren't those weren't so bad. Nice and easy. No, they were uh, great. Getting some uh, some good information out of you. So yeah. So now you know we know that you're a big fan of Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, did that contribute to your decision to make your book uh, targeted towards uh, the mm. young adult um, audience? Yeah, I mean, I think it has to. Um, I think when Joe Rowling started writing and publishing those books, young adult fiction was a different world than it is now. Um, and I I grew up as Harry Potter was um, coming out. Uh, and so, you know, I never I never lived in a world that didn't have as a reader, um, didn't have the influence of Harry Potter going into it. Um, but, you know, I think I think she changed YA fantasy. Um, I think she changed the landscape of young adult fiction. Um, and, I, you know, when you love a book in any way, um, it, it impacts your writing. Um, and especially when you love a book as fiercely as I love Harry Potter. Um, I've, so uh, I'm, I tend to be a, a print reader, um, but my other job is painting coffee cups. Um, I sell them on Etsy and one of the ways that I keep myself entertained while I'm painting is listening to audiobooks. And uh, because you can never reread too many times, um, I have re-listened to uh, Jim Dale's narration of Harry Potter more times than I can count. Um, and so I think, you know, when something makes its way into your consciousness as thoroughly as that, it it comes out, I think, in the way that you think about story and character and even, I think, the way that you write, uh, you know, uh, syntax and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's had a massive impact on my life and on me as a writer. Yeah. I, I definitely think that, you know, while you, you have, you know, the, the genre is called young adult, like there is mm-hmm. some, there are certainly some, uh, some brutal dark things mm. that happen, you know, especially yeah. in the, the world of Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, you know, not just Harry Potter, but some of these like, you know, Divergent and, and yeah. um, what's the yeah. Catching oh, Fire? Hunger, Hunger Games. Games. Hunger, Hunger Games. Games, totally. Um, and I think maybe one of the mistakes that adults make, um, and C.S. Lewis talks about this, is is in underestimating kids. Madeline Engle, too. She's baller, but she always talks about how um, adults tend to think that writing for children means like, like softening it or, or toning it down or like, um, I don't know, uh, what the word is I'm looking for, but censorship sort of, um, but kids, kids can handle so much more than we give them credit for. Um, and they, they don't need soft soap. They need, um, they need the sort of stories that will shape them into the people that, that they need to be, that they want to be, that we want them to be. Um, and one of the reasons that I write YA is because books like Harry Potter, especially, um, are are springboards for for kids into reading. Um, and reading has just played such a huge part in my life and has impacted me so much. Um, and you know, I love TV, but um, when when you're a teenager <clears throat> and you're a busy one, um, and reading at school is kind of a drudgery. Um, it's really easy to start to think that every, every book out there is just a bore. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to be a reader. Um, but when you read something like Harry Potter that, um, and that that's just the example I'm using, there are so many books out there that will do this, um, that make you, um, aware of the fun and the joy that reading can be. Um, it transforms the way you think about books. And, um, I think that, you know, I, I've always wanted to be someone who who ushers kids into reading um, because they experience that they like it. Um, so I think that's another impact that, that those books have had on me in, in choosing to write way, YA. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's there are things, you know, that, you know, when I write stuff, like there are 
books that I read as a kid mm. that still influence me today. Mm-hmm. Ashes, you have a... Yeah, so my question to you is, how does your book, in your opinion, differ from other young adult fantasy novels? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I do think, I mean, I think that for me, this book was um, an exploration of all the things that I love about fantasy. Um, and so I think it reads kind of uh, with more classic um, tones than a lot of what's coming out today. Um, it's it's not necessarily, um, and I hope this isn't like an anti-promo, but it's not um, trying to push the boundaries really of, of what we know fantasy to be. Um, in some ways, I think it's an homage to what a lot of us love about classic fantasy. Um, but, uh, what I think is different about it, um, is that, um, and maybe this is very particular, but, um, a lot of time times fantasy does explore light and dark themes. I think that's, that's a theme that you see coming up in fantasy all the time. And, uh, might, might just be one of those that's kind of eternal to fantasy, but I, I don't think I've ever read a book uh, that explores it in a literal way. Um, so I think for me that that was what kept drawing me back to this story um, was that um, the the light and the darkness are a literal presence and a literal, um, I guess, good or problem. Um, and that was yeah, that was just a lot of fun to explore. But. Yeah, I feel like a lot of authors in the fantasy genre in general are almost like trying to redefine, rewrite, mm-hmm. re-explore fantasy. Yeah. And there was something about reading this that mm. just felt so familiar mm. that it was nice and comforting. But at yeah. the same time, the story felt fresh. Thanks. Thank you. Well, one of the one of the things I liked about it is, you know, like you were saying, like it, it has a lot of different influences, you know, and mm-hmm. as I'm reading it, I'm I'm getting some... You know, you get the classic, you know, like you were saying, the the good versus evil, the Mm -hmm. the light versus the dark, where you're getting that. But to me, there were some shades of anti-Tolkien, where Mm. in Tolkien, you know, all the bad guys look a certain way, all the good Mm. guys look a certain way. But the way you describe uh, Queen Isabel, Mm -hmm. or Isabel. uh, Isabel, yeah. um, You know, as being like this, you know, paragon of beauty, like... Mm and then we find out more about her. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's such a, a, a different take on it. It's almost like um, I kind of compare it to like the overarching story of the white walkers and winter in mm-hmm. uh, game of Thrones where, you know, you know, the Starks are always saying winter is coming and, mm-hmm. like, you know, some folks have taken that to mean winter as in like the white walkers are physically mm-hmm. bringing, the storm with them so mm. there's shades of that yeah you know not quite to the level of you know what george R. R. martin sure. does with the uh the violence and, <laughs> and, and, and adult situations but sure. uh, there's definitely something to that like mm. there is definitely a darkness especially the uh the scene at the ball like there is definitely mm. a, a uh, an absolute darkness that comes mm-hmm. with that yeah. So when you were first writing this, mm-hmm. um, according to the, the, the information that was sent over to us mm-hmm. from Blink, this was, you know, kind of started during the blizzard in 2011, mm-hmm. where, where like your town shut down for two weeks mm-hmm. because of the amount <laughs> of snow. Now, have you always lived in Oklahoma? And was this like just a... a mm-hmm a blizzard that was just not something that you guys were used to. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, I know out here, yeah. different, different places, the country handle weather differently. Like yeah. over here in, in Massachusetts, like if we got uh-huh. a blizzard, right. we get two feet of snow and works like you're coming in. Right. Yeah. It's, okay. Yeah. it's okay. If you're an hour late, <laughs> like put on but, your snowshoes, but right. like we're more used to it. We have, you know, like yeah. Southern States, like, you know, you get a, a frosting in, you know, Florida <laughs> and like no one knows how to drive anymore. And there's yeah. hundreds of cars involved in a single accident. Yeah. So now was that, <laughs> so, you know, so basically, you know, is that something that was it just a particularly 
bad snowstorm or is it just you guys aren't used to having snowstorms like that? Mm -hmm. Good question. Um, so I, I am an Okie and I've lived here my whole life. I went to school in Shawnee, Oklahoma, um, moved back to Tulsa after that. And so, um, I, I may not be able to answer the question as well as I should, cause I haven't ever lived somewhere else that has more snow. Um, I, from my understanding, we have mm, probably a, uh, who knows, statistically speaking, what seems to me like an average amount of snow. And, and I would say that's cumu cumulatively an average, um, because some years we get multiple snows, some years we don't get any. Um, <clears throat> and I'm in my mind averaging together all of the states that get none and the states that get you know, a lot. So I'm probably off on that. Um, but I, I would say we are not, um, unfamiliar with snow. It's just that we don't typically get a lot of it and our weather is really, um, flip floppy. And so I would say a lot of the time when we get snow, um, we get it <laughs> following like a warm day or, you know, after it snows a day or two later, it might be 70 degrees. Um, and so we, we don't tend to have it for very long. I think, um, it melts pretty quickly. Um, and that, that year was just, I think it was just unprecedented amounts of snow for us. Um, and you're totally right in that, you know, different places have different ways of dealing with it. And we just, we don't like, we have some snow trucks and plows, but it's not like they're tons of them. Um, and it, I think, you know, we're prepared for, moderate dustings we're prepared for moderate ice um but anything above moderate is like well guess we can't deal with this so um that i think that's why so many businesses shut down um it also you know didn't melt right away because we had weeks after that of of continual freezing weather um so it's really funny to me to consider like you know <laughs> what would y'all from Maine think if you were here during that storm? Would you just be like, get it together, people? This isn't a big deal, probably. Um, but it's, yeah, I think a lot of it, it has to do with um, how prepared you are to deal with something like that. Um, and I think we just weren't. Um, but it was also really fun because that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, I think it's a, there's a big difference. Like we probably have more snow plows in. Totally. You know, the few towns around here than you guys have in your state. <laughs> all of, yeah, the state. Uh, because that's, you know, there's a, yeah. there's a place we drive by. It's like this huge uh, Quonset hut, and it's huh. just full of salt for when, yeah. for when you know, because we have sand trucks, we uh -huh. have salt trucks, we have plows, we have yeah. these giant bulldozer-looking trucks. Yeah. You know, that That's are, so cool. They have a plow in the front and they're spitting sand out of the back. Uh-huh. That's what Yeah, we don't have those. <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't expect you to. Like yeah. although like if we had a I don't know, tornado, we yeah. would be yeah. a lot less be, prepared than you'd you guys. Be, exactly. Yeah. So uh-huh. It's, it's all based That's so on funny. what you're used to. Yeah, it is. But at least you took you know, you took advantage of that. Yeah. You know, and I know you were saying like it was it was affecting you, you know, with mm -hmm. the two weeks of, you know, I'm sure power outages and mm -hmm. phone outages and things like that. You know, yeah. You have to worry about food spoilage. Like there's a lot yeah. of stuff that goes into that, that you're just like, Definitely. I am so not used to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Walking to the grocery store. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, I've done it, you know. Yeah. We've... The only good thing is you, you have to worry less about food spoilage. Only hmm. because you can be like, oh no, the milk. Well, I'll just stick it in I'll a snow. Put it bank. outside. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's so uh, funny. So I kind of want to switch gears and talk about the characters a little bit. Yeah. So Syria Nightingale. First of all, that's a fantastic name, and I want to know you. how you came up with that. But yeah. I'd also like to know the inspiration behind her. And yep. did you put any of yourself, your attributes, into mm. this character? Good questions. So her name, um, I wanted a name that, that meant, uh, you know, luminescent somehow that, that had a light association. Um, and Sirius, uh, as we know, because of Harry Potter is a star, it's the dog star. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, a lot of my kind of searching for light names, um, weren't satisfying to me. Um, and so 
uh, I kept coming back to Sirius and thinking, you know, obviously I'm not going to use that because it's, we know it to be a, a boy name because of Harry Potter, but also I'm not going to use a Harry Potter name. Um, and so then I sort of started thinking, well, maybe I'll adapt it. Um, and so I, I changed, I changed the name Sirius to Syria. Um, <clears throat> so that was kind of where her first name came from. Um, and then Nightingale, um, you know, we think of, uh, nightingales being birds who sing in the dark. Um, and, uh, Syria is a character who, um, is she's not a creature of the dark. She's a creature of the sun. Um, but she has lived her whole life in the dark, um, and has to learn to persevere through it in order to find and bring the light. Um, and so I, I thought that the idea of, um, a bird that sings at night, uh, was really, um, metaphorically powerful to me for what I wanted her to be and, and do. Um, then you asked, what did you ask next? Uh, if there's any of me in her? Yes. Yeah. Um, I would say not intentionally, but I am sure, I am sure there's a lot of me in, unintentionally. Um, the only thing that I would say I was cognizant of putting in her that that was me, uh, was that experience with anxiety and, um, and she, she probably doesn't have much depression coming through, um, in the book, but, but the seasonal affective disorder and the anxiety, um, that that's triggered by the darkness and by, um, the kind of felt oppression of her surroundings. Um, uh, that's, that's definitely my experience. Um, so, um, it's possible that teenage me, uh, would have more in common with Syria than, than adult me. Um, she's really, at least for the first half of the book is not comfortable in her own skin. Um, she doesn't really know who she is. She doesn't know what she wants to be, um, or, or what she thought she wanted to be is increasingly not an option. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just really hard to be a teenager. Um, and I remember it. Um, I know teenagers and there's just so much about that time of life that like sucks. Um, and so I think, I think I, my teenage self would have related to her sort of feeling of like life sucks, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't think, you know, when I build characters, I try not to, to base them on people I know, uh, including myself, uh, just because they, that's like, for me, that's harder to do than just letting a character grow on its own because it's sort of like trying to train a plant, uh, up a, you know, a trellis or something. Yeah. You have to constantly be like putting it back on track. Um, and you know, real people, it's like a template to follow, um, but fictional people, they do their own thing. They're like a vine that just grows. Um, and so I think it's more work to base them on, on actual people. So I would say yes and no. I would say maybe the, uh, maybe the physical appearance a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that tends to be, you know, you see that a lot in fantasy stories where, mm -hmm redheaded folks are elevated to a different <laughs> level. Well, I mean, like Game of Thrones, you have, mm -hmm. you know, have like, you know, these various characters like Sansa and Catelyn mm -hmm. and Igreet and Tormund. They're all mm. kissed by fire because mm. George R. R. Martin has a thing for redheads. <laughs> um, you know, even Harry Potter, all the Weasleys, mm -hmm. you know, they have that, you know, distinctive looking uh, sure. hair and, and features. And yeah. then you see it with... Again, I, I bring it back to the, the scene at the ball where it's like someone mm -hmm. who is a redhead is like so unusual mm -hmm. in this world of fantasy. Like mm -hmm. it's like, oh, these are the uh, the the wood nymphs and the water nymphs. And, mm -hmm. and oh, my God, a redhead. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Like, oh, that's that's you know, you have an orc walking down the street. Oh, weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that's like. So I think two things about that. Uh, one is that redheads, and I don't, I don't get to claim redhead totally because I, you know, dye my hair. Um, but I think when I was younger and it was more strawberry, occasionally people would label me a, a redhead, and I would often there was like a lot of negative association with that. Um, the the sort of like like I one time I had a kid. I don't know why I just thought of this. I had a kid in middle school, elementary school, who told me 
uh, most redheads are ugly, but you're okay, I guess. <laughs> I was just like, excuse me? Like, who comes up with this stuff? So um, I think like... <laughs> I think if you are a redhead, there's probably a, a part of you that wants to like vindicate your 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 hair color and try and make it something better than than a negative stereotype. Um, but I think the fire association too, um, and that was of course why I did it. Um, I I wanted my nymph races to all have physical attributes of the element that they uh, that they can channel, um, and so you know um, I wanted everything about Syria to look like the sun. Um, and so, um, I don't know, uh, at what point in the book, but, but there are mention mentions of sun children with, with more sort of gold, um, uh, overtones to their hair and stuff, but I wanted the fire imagery to be profound. So, you know, that's where it went. I definitely think you, uh, you, you accomplished that. Thanks. So we, we've talked about Syria. So now tell us a little bit about some of the other major players that we yeah. get to meet. Uh, Yarrow, Lyndon, Merrill, Isabel. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about where those folks came from. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things that I love about fantasy is that there are often sort of ensemble casts. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> and, you know, again, uh, kind of going with archetypes instead of pushing back against them. Um but but Yarrow is the kind of wizard figure, you know, the the old mentor. Um, <clears throat> I wanted him to physically not look like Gandalf, um, so I you know I made him bald, and um, there's a bit of my dad in him probably, um, and and especially in the physical baldness of him. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I I wanted him to be I wanted him to be grumpy, um, but also like have a lot of deep feeling um that that you know is there um and i think the wizard <clears throat> the wizard archetype archetype can tend to be cold and removed um and so yarrow um i wanted to i wanted him to be sort of a mentor but i more than that wanted him to be her dad um and you know it's a found family story too and so um he's he's really the character that um fills in what her um what her parents who are she finds out her are her adoptive parents um never were able to be for her um <clears throat> and then Lyndon um well so you know it's just fun to give everyone magic uh Lyndon has the earth magic um and funnily enough I think the the first inspiration the first like desire I had for Lyndon was that he be what I wanted Gail Hawthorne to be in the Hunger Games um I thought that, you know, when I first read those books, I thought that he was just the bomb.com. I thought he was so cool. Um, and I loved their, their, their best friendship. And I loved sort of how, um, how well he knew Katniss going into the story, but I was so dissatisfied with Mockingjay. Um, I've always really, really hated that book. Um, and I think part of it is that, uh, Gail turns out to be, um, a radical first. Um, he, he kind of throws away his, his love for his people, um, in favor of, um, being, being a fighter, um, which is a real thing, but I wanted Lyndon to have a softer heart than that. Um, and, uh, you know, what is hotter than, uh, a, a wood elf or a wood nymph. So that was what he got. Um, Meryl is a character that I had so much fun with. Um, my agent had the genius idea of getting rid of a couple other side characters that I had um, to begin with and um, basically letting Meryl fill all of their roles. Um, so she gets to become this badass protector um, that um, she's got like a lot of beef with Syria um, and writing the conflict between them was so much fun um, and letting her be just kind of a jerk um, who, you know, has a lot of baggage and she eventually comes around. Um, but, uh, her, her water power was super fun to play with. Um, <clears throat> so I guess the initial question is, is what, what brought all these characters in? And I would say just a desire for an ensemble cast. Um, and then Isabel, um, yeah, I wanted, I wanted a witch queen. Um, and I wanted her to be, I wanted her to look like she was good in the sense that we as, 
you know, modern Westerners would say good is this kind of beauty. Um, and so in a way, I wanted her beauty to be a pushback against that as, as equaling good. Um, but I think, you know, there's, there's something about, um, uh, like a, a sinister, um, beautiful, um, bad guy, uh, that is really compelling. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I don't really know what my initial, uh, inspiration for, for making her the bad guy was. It's funny. I think when you work on a project for a long time, um, you, you forget kind of the origins of things, but you also sort of feel like that's just the way they are. You know, that's like how they've always been. Um, who am I to say that they're not that thing? Um, which maybe is a little bit of how I feel about these characters. I think, you know, looking at some of the characters and, you know, how you uh, describe them to be, uh, some of them, like, the way you're de describing Isabel mm -hmm. gives me shades of both Cersei Lannister and the mm -hmm. evil queen from Snow White. And I think that's mm -hmm. why I like that character so much. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, uh, I would say, uh, Yarrow, Yarrow, sorry, reminds me a mm -hmm. lot of Dick Halloran from The Shining. Oh, I've never, have I seen The Shining? I don't know if I've seen uh, The Shining. Scatman Crothers character. He also pops up if you've, if you've, you know, obviously if you've read the book, you know a little mm -hmm. bit more, but, uh, he also pops up in, uh, the novel of It. Mm. He's a he's a pretty major player in some of the backstory. Cool. And you know, he's definitely that older bald mentor character. Mm -hmm. And I would definitely say that uh I personally think that uh Merrill and Syria have a Snape Harry Potter relationship. Nice. Ooh, I like that. Like there's there's definitely like you know, I don't know what your intentions are mm -hmm. and I'm, you know, am I teaching you or mm -hmm. do I want to kill you? Yeah. But like, yeah. I'm giving you some value. I'm teaching you valuable information, mm -hmm. but why am I doing it? Yeah. So I like that. I, I definitely got that vibe. When I found out you were a Harry Potter fan, I was like, okay, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Uh huh. I'm sure that was a subconscious uh, impact influence. Well, yeah. Especially where you said you kind of, combined a whole bunch of uh a whole bunch of characters together yeah D sorry did you say talk about that uh you can if you want i oh, was just saying okay. like i i could definitely see where, oh yeah yeah you know, if those were separate characters it might not have the same impact as just yeah the one-to-one -one relationship yeah and um, yeah one of the many times that my agent uh was the genius that i needed in revisions so do you feel that along with the character's evolution throughout mm -hmm. the, the book, do you feel that you evolved as a writer and as a person along mm -hmm. with these characters? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really funny. I think lately I've been feeling almost like self-conscious about the, the non-boundary pushing aspect of this book, that it is, like you were saying, it's familiar um, and and. I, I like it that way. And every time I've revised it, I've, I've realized again, I love this book and I wouldn't change it. Um, but I do think if I were writing it anew today, um, I've changed as a person, I've changed as a reader and a writer in the last 10 years. And I think that it would, I would tell a different story probably, um, in this context, in this world, even with these characters, I don't know what it would be, but I think it would be different. Um, but, kind of uh, by the same token, um, I, I'm really glad that this is a story that, that I've told in this world because um, it's, it's made me who I am, I think. Um, it's played a huge part in my life over the last decade. Um, and I've learned so much about writing um, through writing this and through all the many revisions that it's had. Um, and my just today, actually, my sister-in-law uh, who read it very early on um, and who I gave one of my uh, advanced author copies to. Um, she said she's she's um, in the middle of it. And she said, it's like 
it's like reuniting with an old friend um, when you've grown a lot and when they've grown a lot. Um, and I think, I hope um, that the book has gone from being, um, you know, a, a, a less mature version of itself um, to a more mature version of itself, like hopefully I have in the last 10 years. Um, and I think we've done that together. Um, so yeah, it's hard to have perspective on something that you're so close to in that way. Um, but I do think, I do think it's had, you know, a tremendous impact on me as a person, as a writer. Um, and I think it's grown a lot. I know that it's grown a lot, um, from its original draft. So, yeah. This isn't a question. This is just a comment. So we've <laughs> mentioned how this book has a familiar feel to it as far mm -hmm. as fantasy goes, because, you know, we've all read fantasy, mm -hmm. but for a young adult reader, this could mm -hmm. be their introduction to fantasy. This could mm -hmm. be the first fantasy book that they read. So yeah. I think that, you know, you saying that it yeah. kind of doesn't push the envelope, it, you mm -hmm. know, doesn't bring anything, you know, new in a sense to the table but for mm -hmm. someone reading this for the first time someone reading fantasy for the first time like yeah. they're not gonna see that they're not gonna know that like this is gonna open mm -hmm. up this whole you know can of worms so to speak you know they yeah. could they could fall in love with fantasy mm -hmm. with you know be, with that. this book because of this book yeah I love that perspective and I still love you know classic fantasy one of my favorite places to find new books to me is the thrift store um, oh, you absolutely. Know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Love going. Oh, yeah. Love going thrift shopping. And, and mm -hmm. you know, they say don't judge a book by its cover. But mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes that's the best way. It's like I, I buy I, I got this book because mm -hmm. I like the cover. Mm -hmm. And speaking of yeah. which, your cover art is fantastic. Oh, isn't it lovely? It gorgeous. I know. I love um, it. But yeah, I just think there's there's something. So and, and you know, as someone who reads fantasy, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's a nice callback you know you can see mm. okay you know this author is, is inspired by mm -hmm. things that i love and yeah clearly this this writer isn't writing fantasy for the sake of i guess i'll write a fantasy book mm -hmm. this author is writing fantasy because they too love fantasy yeah and just yeah. want to you know indulge in that world mm -hmm. so you know that's yeah. why when we say it sounds familiar you yeah know, there's nothing wrong about that there's something yeah. quite comforting about that yeah you know, because it's not trying to bring anything new to the table but like i yeah. said you know the story is still new it's still fresh yeah. it's still exciting but mm -hmm. yeah i mean this could be someone's introduction to the fantasy world yeah and you know this book could be the book that wants them to read you know uh, i want to read harry potter now i want to read this yeah. i want to read that i want to get my hands yeah. on you know as much content as i possibly can totally you know? so i just i think it's it's fantastic it's well written. Yeah. It's so well done. The characters are, are you, you love them and then you hate them. And <laughs> I think that's the thing that, you know, when you have, when you have fantasy that is well written. So not only is the world, mm. you know, created to a T, but the characters are mm. so well developed. It becomes so easy to just kind of fall, you know, curl up with a cup of tea and just yeah. fall into this world. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I do hope that it points backwards as well as forwards for people. Um, cause I think when we, when we leave behind the literature of the past, whether that's a year ago or 20 years ago, I think we're losing things. Um, and so, yeah, I, I hope that this book points people back to things as well as onto things. Yeah. I mean, speaking of familiarity, like, <clears throat> You know, I, I can speak for uh, lots of people, and I'm mm. sure you as well. Like, and you even mentioned it earlier. How many times have you revisited the Harry Potter books? Like, there's sure. nothing wrong with familiarity. Yeah, you're hearing you're hearing a different voice. You're you're meeting new characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe it's similar to what you've seen before, but it's not mm. the same. Yeah, you know, all these stories have a very similar story structure. It's the hero's journey. You know, you have the yeah. the old mentor who starts you on your path and helps you mm -hmm. realize a power you don't have. And sometimes that mentor is with you till the end. Sometimes they're yeah. not, you know, look at Gandalf, uh, Obi-Wan yeah. Kenobi, uh, mm -hmm. Qui-Gon Jinn, like it's everywhere in yeah. every story. So it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of familiarity. And yeah. 
speaking of fantasy series, mm. uh, is there any plans to further the universe of Ignite the Sun? Yeah, great question. So this book sold as a single book. Um, and uh, at the moment, it is it is the only thing on its horizon. But um, I think I would love to write more in the world, whether it's about Syria or about someone else. Um, and I think that uh, I think I'll have opportunity to explore that um, in the future. I don't know how soon. Um, I think I think my next project is uh, well, it isn't in this world, um, but I I would personally love to write more in this world. Um, and so I think I think that's on my agenda for things to pursue, regardless. So yeah, I think that makes sense. You know, you want to have different. You know, I look like a, a Joe R. Lansdale where, mm. you know, he has his Happen Leonard characters and, mm -hmm. you know, he also has his other books that he reads. But, you know, now and then Happen Leonard kind of, you know, hey, do you remember me? You know, you, yeah. you got to kind of come back to, you know, your roots for yeah. lack of a better term. Yeah. So I know we're uh, getting close on time. So we just have a couple more questions. For sure. Um, so we talked about, you know, quite a quite a bit. So I, I have two final questions for you. Mm -hmm. uh, first, well, it's not really a question. It's a, uh, well, yeah. Uh, what, what words of advice do you have mm. for folks who might be reading your books and, you know, maybe they've always wanted to get into it, you know, maybe they're adults or maybe they're kids that, you know, are like, oh, I, I really want to write. Yeah. What, what, what advice do you have for, for those folks? Yeah. Um, my biggest piece of advice is, persevere. Um, the, the publishing industry, if you are writing to share what you've written, um, in a, you know, traditional sense, uh, is brutal. It's brutal. And it's, um, <laughs> it's just a long, long journey. And for the most part, it doesn't matter how good you are, um, to start out. You're just going to have to get, uh, through a lot of rejection before you get anywhere. Um, you know, occasionally you can read a success story about someone who's had a break, you know, a month after they, uh, started trying to get published, but that is absolutely not the norm. Um, and it's easy to think when you first start trying to put your work out there to get an agent, to publish, you know, an article or a short story, um, and those rejections start coming in, it's really easy to think like, oh, I'm not any good. I didn't, you know, I, I knew it. This is, this is what I've been afraid of all along. And this is verification that I'm not any good. Um, it's not, it's absolutely not. Um, the truth is just that there are a lot of people out there trying to get published um, and reading and uh, publishing are subjective, hugely subjective uh, things. And so it could, it, it is likely, um, I would even say it's certain that the person you sent your, your work to just wasn't the right fit for it. Um, but hand in hand with perseverance is uh, be humble and willing to work on your craft. Uh, with every rejection you get, with every kind of failure or missed opportunity, uh, work on getting better. Uh, and the way you do that, of course, is by reading and continuing to write and applying what you hear from people um, with a critical eye. You know, you don't, if somebody says this is crap and you're never going to be any good. You don't need to apply that. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when you hear feedback about your work, try and figure out what it is about um, that feedback that's true. I think it was Neil Gaiman who said, um, <clears throat> if, if someone has a problem with what you've written, um, it doesn't mean that that problem is true. Like that, 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 um, how did he say it? Uh, that, that, that aspect is the problem, but it, it does mean that there is a problem. Um, and that your job as the writer is to figure out what it is and fix it. Um, and uh, I think that's, that's not like talking about you know, objective or subjective things like I don't like this character um, because that could just be that person's opinion. But but structurally, and um, when it comes to the craft of your writing, if someone you know has has an issue, then there is an issue, and it's your job to fix it. Um, so persevere and be willing to work on it. Um, and I think those two things will get you places. So I agree with you on that. Yeah, you, know, you always have to be no matter what your 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 craft is mm. you always have to be willing to accept 
constructive criticism. Yep. Um, because yeah. that's the only way you're going to get better. Totally. And uh, finally, where do you like folks following you when it comes to uh, social media and like where they can find uh, where the book's going to be? And uh, you yeah, know, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. So my handle tends to be Hannah C. Howard, no H at the end of Hannah. Um, if you were writing it out, it would look like Hannah Choward. Um, and that's on Instagram and Twitter. Um, on Facebook, my page is Hannah C. Howard author. Um, I am not as good at Facebook. Um, Instagram is probably where I post the most stuff. Um, I also have a website, Hannah Um, and that has links to all of my, all of my places. Um, if you want to order the book, it's anywhere books are sold, but I would personally recommend my local indie bookstore, which is Mad- magic city books. Um, and at the moment for, uh, at least the next little while, they're going to have an option for you to order um, signed and personalized books. So if you want your book signed or personalized or both, um, Magic City Books and Tulsa, Oklahoma is who you should order through. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah. thank you for uh, for joining us. Like this was a really good interview. Like we had a lot of fun chatting with you. Especially good. I did Harry too. Potter stuff. Thanks and, for having me. Uh, oh, of course. And you are always welcome to come back, especially to promote your uh, your next work. Awesome. And, uh, you know, when this inevitably becomes a Netflix series, <laughs> uh, we just want to say that we were in on the ground floor. <laughs> Thanks, guys. You guys are awesome. All right. So thank you very much. And uh, we hope, we hope you, you uh, have nothing but success with this. Thank you so much, you guys. It's been a joy. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, Get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. On June 27th of this year, 16-year-old Jack Weeks, excited to be out at the beach, ran to the water and dove in. But it was too shallow and Jack landed awkwardly. He damaged his neck from his C4 through his C6 vertebrae. He was instantly paralyzed and unable to breathe. The quick thinking and fast action of some bystanders, which included some doctors, ER personnel, and everyday heroes who happened to be at the beach that day, saved Jack's life. Now he and his family face an uphill battle to pay for uninsured medical costs and the many changes that must be made to their home in order to facilitate Jack as he adjusts to this new chapter in his life. You can help by going to helphopelive.org backslash campaign backslash 17554 to donate, share, and learn more about Jack's situation. A link will also be in the show description. You can also choose to mail a check to Help Hope Live to Radnor Corporate Center, Suite 100, 100 Matsonford Road, Radnor, PA, Make checks payable to help hope live with in honor of Jack Weeks on the memo line. Anything you can do to help will be greatly appreciated by Jack and his family, especially his parents, Cammy and Kip. You might recognize Kip from his role in The Strangers and how active he is in the horror community and with our horror family. And now he's reaching out to us in the horror community as our horror family and relying on the kindness of strangers to help his family overcome this daunting adversity. Please share Jack's story and donate if you can. Thank you.
Hey, what's going on? I'm Steven. And I'm Ron. And we're the hosts of the Super Retro Throwback Reviews Audio Podcast. If you like to hear the latest pop culture news with some smart-ass commentary as well as the latest movie reviews, then check us out. Also, we're a multi-award nominated podcast, so we're doing something right. God knows how that happened. So check us out on all major podcasts and distributors and check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on all social media platforms. It's been 10 years, 10 years to plot and plan, and now Debbie Wilkins is back. A decade after her killing spree on the set of The Bayou Butcher, Debbie Wilkins has returned to the spotlight, and she's getting the attention she craves. But will she bathe in glory or in blood? Debbie isn't the only one who's been plotting and planning, and when worlds collide, there's going to be a lot of collateral damage. Does Debbie have what it takes to stay on top, or will she end up on the cutting room floor? Debbie Rashawn, Stormy Daniels, and Diana Prince lead a cast of badass women in Axe to Grind Part 2, coming soon. Support the Indiegogo campaign by joining the Facebook group, clicking the link, and choosing your perk. Want to be in a scene with Stormy? You can. Want her to kill you? That's up for grabs, too. How about your face in the movie, or your artwork, or your own music? All of these perks and more can be yours. Support indie horror. Don't make Debbie ask you twice. You're going to need a bigger boat. And I am back. Thank you for uh, checking out that awesome, awesome, awesome interview. Uh... She's just a, a, a an absolutely delightful young lady, and uh, make sure you head over to uh, Hannah C. Howard on Facebook. That's her uh, author page, because uh, you're going to want to get one of these books. I, I can tell you that. If you love fantasy and you like all kinds of magic and intrigue and, oh, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. Definitely make sure you uh, check out her page, give it a like, and uh, follow along, and make sure you... Uh, absolutely pick up her uh, her book because uh, you'll be happy you did and speaking of picking up books uh, if you have followed me on Facebook and uh, you know any other social media site recently you'll have noticed that uh, today I have my first non self-published book dropping on uh, through source point press Uh it's actually available if you go to oximedia.com. Uh, it's under um, it's under that uh, subheading, which is part of uh, SourcePoint Press. It's like a, a bunch of companies that all work together. And uh, oximedia.com. So if you go to oximedia.com slash selections slash novels slash products. So if you just go to oximedia.com, uh, and you, you can search for it there. Uh, if you go under comics... On oximedia.com, there's a couple of drop-down menus. So there's brands, there's games, comics is one of the drop-down menus at the top. Go to books, and uh, how much do you tip an exorcist? My first non-self-published book is out. It's $9.99. It's got uh, 40, uh, 40 um, uh, illustrations by Jeanette. Sorry, I'm, I'm looking at the page, and it's still, it's still weird to me, but it's amazing. Uh, it's got 40 different... Um, illustrations by Jeanette Andromeda, our good friend. Uh, she's supremely talented, and she makes my words like so much better because of her insanely good art. Um, I, I'm I'm still over the moon about this. They also have shirts. Um, I ordered a shirt with the the book cover on it. Um, you know, I get royalties on the on the books, but not the shirts because the shirts kind of break even. Uh, for for uh, Source Point, so uh, if you want to get a shirt, absolutely do it. They're like twenty bucks, but uh, I needed to get a shirt because obviously I'm a big uh, t-shirt guy, anyways, uh, literally and figuratively. Um, but it's just so surreal to me that not only is my book out, um, like there are shirts for it, and I can wear a shirt with my book on it. Like that's it's. So crazy, um, so yeah. Uh, if you if you want to check it out, uh, and I hope you do, 
Uh, it's nine ninety nine. You can go and you can grab one. Um, they should be shipping in a couple of weeks. Um, there were a bunch of pre-orders. I don't know how many, but it was at least double digits. I knew that. But I'm very excited, and I really hope people enjoy this book. So, uh, yeah, oxymedia.com. So O-X-E-Y-E-M-E-D-I-A.com. Uh, you can go to How Much Do You Tip. Uh, under comics, even though it's not a comic, it does have a lot of illustrations. And under that, it's uh, books. And then you'll see it there. It's, it's uh, again, it's still really surreal, and it still like feels like I, I'm having a coma fantasy or something because, uh, I don't know, it's it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, the the book is it's a uh, a bunch of short stories. Uh, there's ten short stories, but there's also uh, some lists in there, some really weird lists that I like to put together, like you know, awful superpowers or movies that sci-fi should make, um, as well as some two sentence stories and some horror haikus. Those are the ones that have the best illustrations. Uh, and then uh, Jeanette was nice enough to make some. Uh, some really cool uh, story headers for me for the short stories. So go check that out. Uh, let me know if you like it. There have been press releases everywhere, which is, again, a weird thing for me. Um, I've been posting those, though. But, uh, yeah, check them out, and uh, hopefully you enjoy the book. Uh, so I'm going to leave you with a shark fact today, and the shark fact of today is uh, there's a common misconception that sharks cannot get cancer, and for a long, long time, uh, you heard that from uh, a lot of different researchers, but unfortunately that is not true. Uh, it has recently been found in the last few years that uh, sharks can indeed get cancer. They've been observed in the wild with different tumors. Uh, it's sad because, uh, you know, cancer is just a terrible, terrible thing to begin with. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's very depressing, but... It is a shark fact that uh, I wanted to leave you with today because, um, and just to let you know how much cancer sucks just in general. So uh, I think with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and bring this episode to a close. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And uh, make sure you go check out Hannah's book, Ignite the Sun. And uh, if you're so inclined, check out my book, How Much Do You Tip an Exorcist? And uh, just remember that... Uh, I am the podcaster, but as a listener, you are my chum. Have a great week. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. Stay safe.